Well, we're back, Empires of the Future, talking today. Uh, it's a book review. I don't think we told anybody that this was coming, but today uh, we're going to review a book that is pretty familiar to both of us and even more familiar uh, to you in a way. So this book is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life uh, by Don Whitney. Um, it is a book I was probably introduced to um, by being at the seminary. Uh, this is a, a, a man, Don Whitney, who teaches at uh Southern Seminary at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and and you hear about it. It's probably one of those books that you hear about when you get uh, on campus, and one that I really did pick up quickly and like. It's uh, I like the idea of the book, and to look at it, it's a well-written book from a standpoint of um, readable chapters are what like thirteen pages long. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty short, and it's purposeful. I mean, it's about doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's a book that's really encouraging you to do. Uh, and so what is your experience with uh, this book? Why'd you run into it? Uh, actually, believe it or not, Jackson, you were the first one that introduced this book to me. Okay. I didn't remember I, that. I think I'd maybe heard of it, but uh, when I was intern here at um, at First Southern, uh, I'm saying here because we're recording from, uh, from First Southern. Uh, when I was intern here, we did a study through it on, I believe, Wednesday nights. It was our Wednesday night study yeah. uh, where we worked through it. And, um, yeah, that was the first time I was kind of introduced to it and, and read at least a few of the chapters out of it. But then since then, we actually have used it for things with the, uh, the college ministry whenever I was a part of the BCM over on USI's campus. Uh, and have since, and the reason you say I'm a little more familiar with it is because I have, within the past couple years, uh, taken the course at Southern uh, with, in fact, the author of the book, Don Whitney. Right. He was my professor for it, for the online course. So, so yeah, really good. Really excited to talk about the, the book. Um, but uh, before then, before that, Jackson, how you been? Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, just, just jumped right into it. So we are uh, <laughs> late in the running season, and I guess probably the biggest thing lately uh, that we've been trying to do is increase that, that long run one mile every week. So mm-hmm. uh, we're trying for 10 this Saturday, right? And yeah. uh, so that becomes, it becomes more tiring toward mm-hmm. the end of the season. Uh, it, it's something that uh, I was still kind of tired from that run the next day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I did it Saturday. I was still tired from it on uh, Sunday some. And so that's been uh, one of the big factors is that, uh, just more fatigue from it, uh, but that's also a sign that you're getting near sort of the end. Yeah. You know that here in a few weeks we'll run the half marathon and then take some time to recover, <laughs> take some break from running. It's kind of a saving grace that uh, that we run the race in the fall, uh, so that in addition to as at the same time we're increasing our miles and and running for longer. The weather, thankfully, is also getting cooler, uh, which is really nice. It's a beautiful day to run today. It was mm-hmm. it was probably almost chilly this morning. Did you wear long sleeves? So I, man, I overslept this morning. I got a text, uh, and, and I needed to get right out of bed and get on the road. So yes, I slept in sweatpants and a long sleeve shirt, and all the way there, I was like, "This is gonna be. Uh, I'll be warm by the time." <laughs> Did this you run one's in sweatpants? Done. Oh yeah. Oh my and, goodness. And and it was manageable. It was warm, but yeah. uh, I, if I could have gone back and changed it, I would have had shorts and the long sleeves. And you know, it's like high 60s today, yeah. 67 degrees, and so I'm fine in long sleeves. But yeah, I would have preferred the shorts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rather than that. Uh, so I'll say something else. You know, we talked about being at Southern, and and that's when you were introduced to the book was while you were a student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I just took the course there, whatever. Uh, I, I want to share a, just a quick memory of uh, whenever I was first, I was getting ready to start at Southern. Uh, it was before my classes had started, before I started my first semester, 
and you and one Mr. Jason Paul, uh, who is another one of our good friends and uh, former running partner, he used to run with us as well, uh, and he is also a Southern grad. Uh, you guys were like, hey, well, I didn't get to do orientation. So you're like, well, why don't we take you out there and orient you? Yeah. And uh, so we drove out there. I remember we spent a day and just went out there to the campus. You guys showed me around and, and uh, you showed me where all the different professors offices were and what the different classrooms were and jason said i'll show you all the good places to eat are uh and then proceeded to walk me past the rose bushes and said oh these rose petals you can eat these he starts picking rose petals off of the bushes in front of the seminary library <laughs> chowing down on rose petals and then he's like oh come back here back there's this tree back here uh some sort of dogwood it's got fruit on it you can eat it we went back there we started eating picking these little spiky fruits off <laughs> yes. this tree and he's yes. eating them to us <laughs> handing them to us yeah try these try these and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I thought he was going to show me the restaurants on campus. No, he's like, here's these random plants yep, yep, yep. that are edible. You know, chow down. You don't have to save your money. Yeah. This is typical Jason Paul fashion. And right? it, it is a beautiful campus. It, oh, it's a nice place to walk around. Uh, it feels good um, to walk around there. I lived there uh, for a summer and then a fall semester. And it's nice uh it's a nice place to just be. Yeah, uh, it, is, oh, it is. It is. It is a beautiful place. Yeah, you know, this time of year especially is really cool to be yeah. there uh, as the leaves are changing and everything. Right, um, and and that very strange thing of the Eastern time zone. So the days are so long. I mean, nine thirty yeah. at night, you're sitting in what like almost full daylight. Right. Uh, out on a lawn. I mean, it was it was very strange for me. I was not accustomed to that at all, yeah, having was. grown up in the Central time and it and it even. Since uh, Harrisburg is a, you know an hour and a half even further west, it's just not like that, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, so the long days took some getting used yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool, really beautiful campus, really classy campus. If you've been there, you know it's really kind of uh, feels really nice, really I don't know upscale to a certain degree. Um, I remember when me and me and Eddie, who Eddie Rodriguez, we used to go out there together, and uh, we definitely did our our part to uh, make it less classy. I remember the time he brought his treeless hammock. Uh, and uh, to set up on the on the quad. And if you don't know what a treeless hammock is, it's basically a giant trash bag that like has a has a <laughs> crease in the middle. So you like somehow that didn't wouldn't have sold quite oh. as many. So they call it a treeless hammock. Treeless hammock. That's right. It was that hilarious. Name. I'd never heard of these things before. And we get there, and he's like, "All right, here's how you set it up." He pulls out this giant bag and starts waving it around, running around on the quad, waving this thing around, and rolls it up. And and basically, you're left with what looks like a giant hot dog bun, yes. uh, just inflated and sitting there on the quad. And he's like, yeah, check it out. Yeah, he's lounging on this thing. And it's just totally wrecking the vibe of the whole <laughs> seminary. Uh, but it was fun. We would do that. We would uh, we would throw a disc around on the quad and do all that kind of stuff. So good times. Good yeah, times out on absolutely. that uh, seminary campus. Now, you did mention that. Um, so you had this class online. Is that right? Yeah, spiritual Whitty's. disciplines for the Christian life. I took right. Personal online. spiritual disciplines. Well, is that yeah, what the, it was? the course yeah. is called personal spiritual disciplines. Yeah. So I took it online. Um, which was good. It's not a, ever as good as being on campus sure. and in a classroom, um, but you you still get to sit under the the lectures of mm-hmm. a lot of these same professors. Um, you have times where they'll have like Zoom meetings, uh, Zoom sessions where you can get on there and you can actually talk to, engage with the professors, and mm-hmm. um, you know they're all super nice, really fun to yeah. To I hear to Don Whitney you. in particular is a pretty personable guy, and Very. and that's always good to hear uh, when you are oh yes you know writing about. Spiritual disciplines and personal yeah. spiritual disciplines. This this book has definitely the vibe of sort of a, a coach, of a spiritual coach. And uh, from what I hear, I have not uh, met him, and I did not have him for that class. Um, but I, I hear he he is a hands-on, you know, relatable guy. 
Yeah, as best I could tell from from the Zoom sessions, he was. Uh, he loves fountain pens. He talked okay. literally for probably over 20 minutes on one Zoom session about his love of fountain pens. He and, shares that with Al Mohler then, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, he might he might have Al Mohler beat. Oh, so wow. he uh, he ha- always carries with him in his pocket like five different fountain pens. And does he have a pocket protector too then? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But he always carries them. Yeah. Uh, and here's what's crazy. So he changes out the ink colors. He has they're all multi different colors, and he changes out his ink colors based on the seasons. Oh my goodness! So he changes out his ink colors for every season. It was wild. He he was oh yeah. I was just like one. That's just one more little niche category yeah. that people are into. Like yeah, you know. And I just don't get. Well, yeah, and and there are quirks. People who live in the academic world have quirks. That would be one, yeah. that, you know. Yeah. Do you know how much fountain pens are? No, I do not. So if you go to Southern Seminary and go in their bookstore and look at the fountain pens, the cheapest, this is the cheapest, Jackson. This is like a garbage fountain <laughs> pen, but the, the cheapest fountain pen you will find there is like $25. No way. They have fountain pens there up to $1,000 for no. pen. I'm not joking. Okay. We'll drive out there again sometime, and I'll show you. But it's it's unbelievable. They're ranging anywhere from eighty to a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars is the highest end ones, right? Yeah. Those are the ones behind the glass, you know. Wow. But uh, a lot of them in the two hundred, three hundred dollar range. Okay. I'm talking a single pen. That's wild. And I don't even think the ink comes with it. <laughs> no. Wow. And not my thing, but it was Don Whitney's thing. Uh, but you know what? That's okay. Um. Because spiritual discipline was also his thing, and sure. he was gracious enough to uh, to give his insights and and put them down in a book for us, and a really really helpful book. And I'm excited to get into it. I agree with you; it's a very practical book because um, it is a book about doing, uh, but it's a book about doing from the right perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not a book on how to earn God's favor. It's not a book on how to save yourself. It's a book for for Christians who desire to live the Christian life well, who desire to exercise the things that need to be exercised in order to uh, grow as a Christian, all the kind of things we want and we, we we encourage Christians to do. He's saying, here's a book to help you do that. Yeah. And I would, um, there's a point that he makes in the introductory chapter that I think goes a long way towards kind of justifying and, and sharing the book. And that is, uh, he says that God uses three primary ways to change us and only one do we have any control over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so number one, he says is people. And you could think about things like iron sharpens iron, which is uh, Proverbs 27, 17, that we, we thankfully uh, have people who come along and help us to grow in Christ, provide examples for us, provide encouragement and all of those kinds of things. Uh, the second one is circumstances, uh, which we, uh, if you've been in the church long enough, you've heard someone talk about how we all want positive circumstances to happen in our life, but we generally grow more from negative circumstances that we go through. And, um, probably the strongest verse to, to give a background to that is, uh, Romans 8, 28, that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And so there are the two things. And then the third one is the disciplines. And so if you are looking to add fuel to your fire as a Christian, yes, you do want to lean into relationships that you have available. You want to make the most out of the opportunities that you have, even the negative opportunities, but really the one that day to day you can 
you can work on is the spiritual disciplines. And so for me, this was welcome. When this book came along in my life, I had had people who poured into me. I had known I need to make the most out of the circumstances, positive and negative. But then to find out there were things that I could do that then would aid and be a positive uh, towards my own spiritual growth. I, I welcomed those things, not yeah. as we were going to get into these later. It's not that I excel at all these spiritual disciplines, but it was a wonderful uh, thing for me to find a list of these things to know then, oh, wow, one, some of these I do excel in and some of these are, are uh, making sense for me. And then that there are these others that I have, I do not naturally lean towards. That then I can go, wow, there's probably a lot of uh, gold to be mined there, uh, spiritually speaking. That I can begin to work on those. Uh, and it was wonderful for me to discover that. I don't know how you felt about this book when you first ran into it, but that's how it felt for me. I when I first ran into it, I, I think my first reaction was, whoa, there are this many spiritual disciplines. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's only because. What uh, what many Christians I don't think have done is put a ton of thought into yeah. what it, what spiritual discipline is and and how many ways there are to exercise spiritual discipline. Um, there's more than just reading your Bible and prayer. Sure, that I think is oftentimes what we most associate with spiritual disciplines. Yeah. And those are great ones. Sure, and there there's some that he talks about, and we're going to talk about some today. But but they are not the the end all be all. They are not the only ways. That you can uh, that you can exercise, you can train yourself for godliness. Uh, there are multiple ways, yeah. uh, and so I remember reading it and going, "Man, these are all ways that I can um, pursue godliness. These are all answers to the question of what can I do in order to uh, to be more godly, in order to be more like Christ. Uh, and these are all ways, practices that you can implement. And so, yeah, I remember thinking that first and foremost about the book, like pretty amazing that there are this many. Right. And so the claim is not that these are uh, exhaustive from a standpoint of uh, this is not a list that is necessarily given in the scriptures. You could subdivide some of these uh, and that's all I'll find. It is uh, just a uh, an effort to say, here's some spiritual disciplines to think about. It does cover a lot of ground as far as uh, disciplines that are uh, mentioned or sort of referenced uh, in the New Testament uh, and and things that we can work on uh, to grow in godliness. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what it is. As far as what happens in the opening, what things that, that he says in, uh, in opening that I think are helpful, uh, this, this idea that discipline without direction is drudgery, uh, that, that we're not talking about discipline for the sake of discipline. Right. Uh, it is discipline for the purpose of godliness. Uh, if your goal is to be like God... How are you going to attain that? And so, again, like I said a minute ago, people can encourage you. Circumstances may help you to grow. Uh, and assuming that the work of the Holy Spirit is present in your life, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways this is uh, a, a clarification to us that what does it look like when the Holy Spirit is working in you? It is not a completely passive uh, experience. Uh, there are plenty of things. Uh, that it, the Holy Spirit is the only one. He will resurrect your heart. He will give life to your heart. But what does that look like then? Well, it looks like learning discipline is one of the things that it looks like. When you find this life in yourself, it is not for you to go, oh, great. Let's chill out. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. Look, the Holy Spirit, he will do 
the work, but some of the work that he's going to do is to teach you discipline. And that's, uh, I think, a welcome perspective, especially yep. if you might, some people might have come out of a context that's uh, sort of really leaning into sort of like let go and let God and, and a very a sort of a passive, more of a passive yep. sort of discipleship experience. Um, there, there, is, there are scriptures that, yes, there is work that only the Holy Spirit will do, but there is also work that he is raising up in you. And that's what this book really focuses on. Yeah, it, and that's a helpful thing to say because actually a lot of what we're getting at here um, is a, centered around, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea of sanctification. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the purpose of spiritual disciplines. It's for the purpose of godliness, uh, and and what we're what that means if we're going to try and use theological terms is that we're talking about sanctification, how to to um, pursue sanctification. Uh, there's a distinction to be made between sanctification and justification. Uh, as Christians, we would say that our justification is, and I'm going to use a couple theological words here, but I'm going to explain them as best I can, um, is that our justification is a monergistic work, meaning that there's nothing that we contribute to in our justification before God, that it is entirely a work that God does. It's a monergistic work. We don't contribute anything to it. We are passive in that work, right? Uh, the Lord works that in us, brings that about, uh, justifies justifies us by the power of the Holy Spirit or, or regeneration. We would say the same thing about is true about regeneration. That's a work that we are passive in that the Lord does in us monergistically. However, it is uh, it, correct to say that sanctification, at least in a certain sense, um, is a synergistic work in that we are not passive in our yeah. sanctification, but we are active. Um, we cannot sanctify ourselves uh, apart from the Holy Spirit. It is the, the Lord that deserves all the glory, all the credit, uh, all the praise and the honor for, for the work of sanctification in us because it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are brought to life, that we are empowered to do these works, and uh, that any sort of power is granted to these efforts in order to sanctify us. All of that comes from the Holy Spirit, right. and yet we recognize that we do have a call upon our lives to pursue these things, mm -hmm. to engage in these things for the purpose of godliness. Okay. And so while, uh, while we can't take any credit and while it differs from, uh, from the monergistic work of justification, we recognize that pursuing godliness, which we would call sanctification, uh, is a work that, that we are able to engage in and be active in as we are empowered and carried along by the Holy Spirit. And why do we say that? Because the theme verse for this book is 1 Timothy 4, 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, train yourself to be godly, mm -hmm. that, that that is the call. And we who take the wording of the scripture seriously means wherever you find yourself right now, if you say yes to Jesus and no to your sins, well, then discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Then you need to be looking, how do I become disciplined mm -hmm. um, to be godly? And one of the ways is these spiritual disciplines that we'll be talking about. Um, so the practice of spiritual disciplines help us to become mature and godly. Yeah. That's that's what they're there for. Here's a quote. Uh, this J.I. Packer quote, I, I think, to, to opens the book is really wonderful. He says, uh, quote, The doctrine of the disciplines is a restatement of classical Protestant teaching on means of grace. He calls us to practice the disciplines out of gratitude for grace, not out of self-justifying or self-advancing effort, which is what you're speaking to. As I pass you over to Don Whitney, I would say to you, uh, now friend, prepare for the workout and you will find health for your soul, which uh, is exactly the theme. Uh, you're getting the, the feel of the book immediately that this is, this is what it is like to 
to get a spiritual workout, to train yourself, and be ready for the good works that God has already prepared for you in Jesus Christ. That's what you want to do. You should expect good works to be out in front of you, but in order to be ready for those, you should train yourself mm-hmm. now. Yep, that's exactly right. And and he's talking about in language that we should and see and, and rightly understand as biblical language, where uh, the, the Apostle Paul even talks about that there is some value in uh, in physical exercise and in training the body. Uh, but there is far more value in training yourself in righteousness and training yourself in godliness. Uh, if there's if there's a purpose to working out in a gym, and that is to be more fit, to be more healthy, um, then the same is true of the point. This is the point that the New Testament makes, uh, and, and even more important to recognize with regards to uh, to godliness mm-hmm. uh, is that we are called to exercise these things to discipline ourselves uh, for the purpose of godliness. So, uh, yeah, really, really, really clear statement that J.F. Packer there makes uh, that it is it is to be practiced out of a gratitude for grace, out of what Christ has done for us. Uh, we then turn and as a part of our worship uh, and and what He has done for us, we engage in these things, not to self justify or or for as a self advancing effort, but uh, to be more like Christ. Yeah. So there's a few other things out of uh, the introduction. And then we'll we'll divide uh, the there are ten uh, specifically mentioned disciplines here, and so we'll uh, divide those up here in a minute. Um, there's a quote here by by Raymond Edmond. He talks about how we we live in an undisciplined age that. Uh, he says, uh, quote, the old disciplines are breaking down. Above all, the discipline of divine grace is derided as legalism or is entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can come only from discipline. And uh, and it is. There, there, there's a sense I, I have had that um, that some disciplines are breaking down. Now, look, if, if, as we've been talking about, if your discipline leads you to self-righteousness, don't walk that path. That is not the purpose. And in fact, repent of that. That's all you can do about self-righteousness. That is not the goal. But this is you learning how to receive life. Again, comparing it to the body. When you train for, say, a race, you are conditioning your body to push itself more than it does, that your muscles then will be able to handle the extra effort and recover so that your body knows what that experience is like ahead of time. And we have all experienced uh, some sort of physical event, whether it's lifting something when you're not accustomed to lifting anything or going out and needing to, to run for some reason when you're not accustomed to running and it feels awful. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, that, and that's you in those moments are always thinking, boy, I should have done more to prepare for this. Uh, and so, yes, that's, that's what this is about is being ready for when those moments come. Yep, that's right. That's right. Well, um, I, I'm looking forward to getting into him. I don't know if you're ready to go ahead and jump in. Probably the last thing, then, I, I like this quote, uh, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. That's a Tom Landry uh, quote. And, and, and I think that uh, a, a shepherd in a church, a teacher in a church, that's why the scripture says not everyone should be teachers because it's not just you're not just doling out information. You are saying... I am on this path too. I want to push myself, mm-hmm. uh, and and that that is needed. Mm-hmm. That that it, the reason it's not enough to give information is that you are not just imparting ideas. You are imparting that who you're relying on, 
that will is required in this, that you do have to push yourself, and that that's a part of what it is to be a shepherd and a teacher, is to to not just give information, but to also give encouragement and challenge, yeah. to have the ability to discern when you need to slow down a little bit and say, you're doing enough right now. Yeah. But then sometimes you have to say, no, 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 this is the time to push yourself. Yeah. You know, uh, and having that judgment, being knowing when to do either. Yeah, and, and that gets to a sort of, I think pastoral purpose as to what we want to accomplish in this podcast too is that uh, just like Don Whitney is for us, um, calling us, pushing us, encouraging us to uh, be disciplined in these mm-hmm. ways. Um, so we too are, are putting this podcast out there in hopes to to encourage you and to make you think about these things because we are saying these are good. They are good for mm-hmm. you. They're good for the church, uh, and they're not talked about enough mm-hmm. unless someone is out here telling you, encouraging you, hey, practice spiritual disciplines, uh, do these things for the purpose of godliness, mm-hmm. and, and you will be benefited, um, then we probably won't do them right. unless we are encouraged, unless we are challenged and, and pushed in that way. And so that's what we hope to do today is to maybe push you, encourage you, challenge you uh, in, the, in the way that Don Whitney has challenged us in this book um, to do exactly that. Yeah. Uh, so these are meant to be uh, practiced in a community of believers mm-hmm. in a church uh, where where other people know you're doing this uh, and and you can share areas where you're succeeding, areas where you're struggling, yeah. where you can receive encouragement as well as encouraging others. Um, these are not this is not some sort of like Rambo plan to become the best Christian out there. It's actually this is meant to be shared in a community. And, and uh, just as this is a. Elton Trueblood talks about these things as there's danger in neglecting the disciplines. There is freedom in embracing the disciplines. And the way he specifically said is discipline is the price of freedom and freedom is the reward of discipline. Mm -hmm. And so uh, all this, though, is not in some individualized context. It is you share this with others uh, and and it is all with humility to go. The only reason I have any ability to do this is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in all these, as we do move towards all of these specific disciplines, you start where you are. All of these are given. There is, everyone starts at zero. And so wherever you find yourself today on every one of these disciplines, this is not about guilt. This is about getting started. And then if, and if again, if you, you know, if you're at a, you know, a four out of 10 on these, well, let's think about continuing in four and moving on to whatever strength God gives you. Um, So there's not guilt around this. Uh, it is most of the time what I find is when we're stuck in that guilt mode, that's why we don't get going on something mm-hmm. is we're disappointed in ourselves. And I find that one of the steps that holds us up is, well, I'm so disappointed in myself that I don't want to admit where I am. It happens a lot. That's fine. Wherever you are, it's fine. But just start where you are. And, and so I just want to say that because uh, moving into then uh, part one here, we'll talk about Bible intake, prayer and worship. Boy, did I start at zero. When they handed me a Bible, I went, don't know what it's about. Frankly, I'm not too fired up about an enormous, big, complicated book. <laughs> uh, and this is necessary. Wow, this is going to be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. In fact, um, for me, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this probably too quickly because there are so many different disciplines in here. But um, I think for, for me and for most people, uh Reading the Bible and and taking in the scriptures is a difficult thing. Um, 
And he has been for a lot of people because, yep. man, it just it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy. Yep. Um, and for people who are particularly fidgety, on the go, it it requires a sort of not being on the go, not being so fidgety, and, and mm-hmm. committing yourself to these things in ways that some of the other disciplines don't. Yep. Um, but he starts with with Bible intake, and I think it's a good place to start because the Bible is for us the foundation of Christian life. Uh, it's in the Bible that we even find all of these mm-hmm. avenues to grow in godliness. And so it's sort of a, a feeding of the rest of these disciplines as well. If you are in the scriptures, if you're reading, if you're studying, um, it's, a, it's a fostering of not only that discipline, but also opening your eyes to um, both to the gospel, to the grace of God in Christ Jesus, uh, which then encourage you all the more towards these other uh, disciplines that are also taught in the scriptures as well. The, the Bible is for us the foundation for Christian living. Mm-hmm. And so like there is no better place to start than there at the foundation. Right. And, um, and so that knowing the importance of it and I, thankfully having picked that up at my home church, McKinley Avenue Baptist church in Harrisburg, uh, Illinois. Uh, then I looked at, okay, how do I do this? And, um, Don Whitney's method, I, I, uh, great example of what I appreciate about him is that there is every way in the book that he is saying, get into the word, uh, something like 16 or 17 different ways of meditating on the scripture that he proposes in here. Um, and probably where I've been around this book long enough now that I can't remember everything I've gotten from it. Um, but I can say that anytime I talk to young people or I talk to anyone about getting into the Bible, I say, throw everything at the wall, try everything, because we do have a lot of tools available to us now and use them, use them. Um, uh, I'll date myself by saying this, but getting the Bible on CD back in the day was huge for me because I'm easily distracted. So sitting and reading the Bible, I get distracted a lot and then I stop in the middle, forget where I am. Um, But to have a recording that is just going to continue on was great and a big game changer for me. Now, um, my story of uh, learning to read the Bible, I remember I was on a mission trip in my youth group, and for the first time I was like, all right, fine, I'm going to try to read a whole book of the Bible. And I tried to read Revelation on that and didn't understand. (laughs) Uh, And I did make it through it, though. And I went, okay, I I got that. Now, one of the cool things that uh, we did out of my youth group is um, I realized that these books of the Bible were meant to be kind of thought of as a whole. Um, and, and, and by the way, there are 66 books in the Bible. They each have their background. It is a challenge, folks. Uh, anybody who sits down, even somebody who says to you, well, I'm going to sit down and read the Bible through in a year. Well, look, there's a whole lot in there, and you're not going to get it all just because you push through it in a year. And in fact, you're going to realize how much um, how difficult it is to take it all in when you're pushing that quickly through it. It is 66 books scattered throughout written over 1500 years uh, with different backgrounds, different types of writing in there that you have to think in different terms when you're reading poetry versus narrative versus Proverbs and all the rest. And so it is a challenge. It's it's just a worthy challenge is our claim. Um, So knowing that um, each book ought to, if possible, be taken, uh, especially Paul's letters, uh, as a whole, um, what I did was 
I had a tape recorder and I sat down and just recorded myself reading first Corinthians. It was the first one I ever did. And I decided, cause if you've ever tried to do this, you mess up a lot when you're talking. And I was like, <laughs> you know what, if it's decent, I'm just going to keep going. And then what I did is different friends of ours, uh, who are uh, youth group just beyond, um, some people who are even uh, anybody who is willing, you know, youth workers and things. I, w- I would, ta- I would take my tape recorder. I'd hand it to him and be like, here, pick a book record it just go in that room right there you can do first john in you know 15 minutes i don't care if there's very many mess ups and and so i had a couple of tapes that we did over these years of different people who i had grown up with in christian maturity uh reading the scripture i would listen to it while i was driving which is very cool i think one of these things i look back on now and i go that was a great thing to do because i would listen and it would very much give personality and character i would remember when i read those different scriptures i could hear different friends of mine reading that and it was a game changer all of a sudden it's like yeah okay this is this is good i do want to get a hold of the entire bible on cd and to have that was great but there was something about having my friends read it as opposed to this professional recording with background you know music and um so so that was cool that was cool and i was driving to uh bible college uh still doing this um for anybody who says, well, that's just, a, you know, that's a lot. Uh, I, I want to warn you that we are watching a lot of videos. We, we still entertain ourselves. Uh, and, and I think it's harder for us to, to keep track of this. So, for instance, when statistics were easier uh, to keep track of, the average American uh, back then, like, say, 10, 15 years ago, um, watches 72 hours of TV or videos uh, and that is every two weeks. So, so something like 36 hours of video. Look, look, get something in there that's going to build you up. Not, certainly not all uh, of what you're listening to is going to do that. And to have something that is guaranteed uh, to build you up is a game changer. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, there are all, you'd be surprised how many different ways there are to take in the scriptures. And sometimes I think what people are tempted to do is to think like, Oh well, it doesn't really count unless I read it myself. I have heard that, right? I, well, I I I lived in that. I mean, that's where I was for a while. Like, well, it doesn't count if I don't read it myself. Mm-hmm. And the question you got to ask is, uh, why not? Does that mean that anyone who can't read, it, they never get to take in the scriptures and right. it not count right. or whatever, whatever, whatever doesn't count means yeah. we act as though it doesn't benefit us unless we are the ones actually reading it with our eyeballs off of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not the case. I think there are benefits to maybe reading it off of paper that you might, especially depending on how you learn best, that you might gain that you wouldn't gain from other ways. But there might be things you'll gain from taking it in other ways that you wouldn't from reading it off of a page. Um, there are, I think this is an interesting way. It's at least worth, it's at least worth throwing out there as well to give people another resource. Um, is that uh, on, I don't know, Spotify, Apple Music, some of these platforms, there are some groups that have taken the scriptures and read them or recited them over like lo-fi beats. Yeah. And it produces a really neat sort of sound where mm-hmm. you're listening to the scriptures being read almost in a, in a melodic kind of way where uh, it's, it's set to music. It's still the same scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're hearing it in a kind of a, a new way, and it helps to solidify. It helps it to sink in. Um, actually, uh, Robert at our church, uh, he has done some of that same stuff through his ministry, Popper Hip Hop, 
And so if you look up proper hip hop, one of the things you'll find if you look on Spotify or Apple Music is that he has um, a Colossians album, quote unquote. But that's just where he is reading chapters out of Colossians, the whole book, um, over lo-fi beats. And it's a really cool sound. It's a really neat way to take in the scriptures. Yeah. And one way that if it's going to help you, for a lot of people listening to lo-fi music, classical music, while they study, helps them study. Yep. It's a similar concept here. Yep. Uh, it's a really neat thing. I recommend checking it out, trying it. There's a couple other, I, I threw out proper hip hop, but there's a couple others that do it. If you look it up, you'll find yep. them. Yep. Um, really neat way to take in the scriptures. Yep. Um, a friend of mine from church, he actually had uh, the idea, he drives for a living. So he drives a, a bread delivery truck. So he's just driving all day. And he decided he was going to undertake to um, listen through the entire Bible in the course of like three months. Hmm. And he did. And I mean, he, you know, it was a really cool experience for him, a really right. great way to take in the scriptures, a good way to make use of the time that he's spent driving rather than listening to music or sports radio or mm-hmm. podcasts, whatever he would normally listen to. So there are so many ways that you can take in the scriptures. I think the way you talked about it's really neat. Uh, have other people read it and you read some and then like swap with each other and listen to your friends read the scriptures. Uh I don't know. I think that's a pretty neat, yeah. fun idea. Yeah, it's a random thing that, that we did. Now, if, if you don't know, I mean, on most Bible apps uh, and, and websites that have the Bible, they, they are uh, included, uh, someone reading it. Yep. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of them over the years. They, they run the gamut. I mean, they'll be really serious, really intense, and then a lot you know, more relatable voices. Um, so there's whatever you're looking for, there's probably something out there that you would like. I just encourage you try it out. There, there are many ways to to get after it. Uh, he has various ways that he encourages in this book that uh, it, very helpful in terms of what things to try in terms of getting the scripture into you. Yep, definitely, definitely. So he, he moves on then from Bible intake to prayer. Um, here's a funny little story that uh, uh, Sinclair Ferguson said one time. He was asked to write a book on prayer one time. And he responded to the, it was a publishing company that approached him to say, we would like for you to write for us a, a short book on prayer. And he said, well, you know, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm honored. But if I'm being honest, I just don't feel like I um, am committed enough in my prayer life that I feel ready to write a book on it. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'd be a good candidate because my prayer life isn't what it should be. Mm-hmm. And he said, but here is this other name. He suggested another name, well-known individual. And said, I, I'm sure if you asked them, they'd be willing to, to do this book. And they said, well, you know, we actually are, I've already reached out to them. And they told us the same thing that you said. They didn't feel like their prayer life is what it should be. And they didn't feel uh, adequate to write this book. And yeah. they said, oh, oh, well, how about this name? You throw out another name, well-known name. And they said, we actually already reached out to them as well. <laughs> right. Turns out they had reached out to multiple um Christian pastors, writers, theologians who were well known, mm-hmm. um, and asked them to write this book on prayer. And every single one of them said something similar. I don't feel like, mm-hmm. don't feel like I'm, I'm essentially qualified because my prayer life isn't what it should be. And man, I think this is the majority of Christian believers mm-hmm. um, who, f- just frankly, their prayer life is not at all what it should be. And we're talking in somewhat subjective terms here. Well, well what should it be? Well, the Bible says pray without ceasing, right? Sure. So if you are ever not praying, right? Well, no, that's not what we're looking to get into here. But I think we can all look and, and examine our hearts and lives and, and recognize that, man, we don't commit the time to to communing with the Lord the way we should. Um, 
especially given the fact that prayer requires no other materials. Right. It requires um, no tools. Uh, we have immediate access to the creator of the universe anytime we want, mm -hmm. direct access. Uh, and we just frankly don't take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And so and it's an encouraging thing or, or, or an important thing for him to encourage us to really just take advantage of what you have been given in Christ Jesus, that you have now been granted access to the very throne room of God to come into his presence. And as the book of Hebrews says, to come boldly right. into his presence, not in fear that he is going to smite you, uh, but coming into his presence as a child who has been redeemed and invited into his presence. Right. And I think probably one of the biggest things that um, I received from this book, um, he talks about, okay, how you learn to pray. And he says, you learn to pray by praying, uh, by meditating on scripture, by praying with others, uh, by reading about prayer. And one of the turns that was really helpful for me is uh, if you're honest, there's going to be times where you go, look, I don't really feel like praying. It's like, okay, we'll pray about that. <laughs> and that's fine. That, that, again, God does not look at us and go, boy, wish you were further along, but I guess this is what we got. He looks at us and he goes, yeah, I want to talk to you. Yeah. And he'll talk about that. You can talk about wherever you are. And that, I think, is uh, a very helpful place to start. Um, and, and this goes towards even uh, doctrinal stuff that some of us deal with sort of this sense that God is disappointed in us. Mm -hmm. um, but that's probably our, our prayers are not informed by the scripture enough that we do have the favor of God in Jesus now. And we can become boldly. We can come boldly because of the relationship we really have uh, based upon Jesus's work that we have a God who is our father. Yeah. All the other things he is, it's true, but he is our father. And so that relationship means that we can pray. And so uh, believe me, I would not write a book if somebody asked me. I'd yeah. be uh, even more in that camp. But the things that um, that are covered in this book are absolutely encouraging in, yeah. in terms of building your prayer life because uh, you should just not let it become such an overwhelming thing to think about. Right. And he writes a spinoff book. Um that really kind of grew out of this book, uh, the best I understand, think, uh, called Praying the Bible, mm -hmm. um, in which he argues for and, and promotes an, an idea um, of ways that you can take the scriptures themselves and pray them back to God, that that is a faithful way to pray. Um, take prayers that others have written down. So, so he especially talks about praying the Psalms. You can take the book of Psalms and open it up to almost any psalm, and you can take that and Pray it back to the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, read the psalm and say, okay, what is the, the psalmist saying here, whether it be uh, David or Solomon, whoever wrote this song, and, and say, what are they saying here? What is their heart as they are crying out to the Lord? In some cases, the psalms are filled with lament. They are filled with sorrow. They are filled with questions of, of Lord, why have you forsaken me? I mean, Jesus mm -hmm. quoted the psalms when he says that on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, but there are other psalms that are... Uh, joy-filled of God's goodness and his grace and, and how he has, uh, has accomplished victory for his people. Um, and there's everything in between. Mm -hmm. the, the Psalms are filled with 
uh, with the whole gambit of human emotion and that being expressed to the Lord, it gives us a lot of insight into our prayer life as well as we read these Psalms and as we seek to engage in praying them uh, to the Lord because it helps us to, to find ways and realize how we can express our emotion to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord is not um, angry at you if you, even in your prayers, express uh, concern or anguish or anxiety right. or even anger. I mean, there are times when that comes out in the Psalms, right. um, and the Lord does not look at that and go, well, how could you ever say that? Yep. Uh, no, he already knows what's going on Right, in he knows what's in you. Talk yeah. to him about it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah, right. yeah. So, um, well, let's let's jump on to worship. Uh, worship is focusing on and responding to God. Um, on this one, uh, though, we, we often do talk about rightly, you don't want to minimize uh, worship down to a worship service or to even the singing of songs. I think there's a reason why that we are drawn to that, because I do think that the singing of songs is such a straightforward way to begin on this. And where we are is, thankfully, people have written thousands of songs that are wonderful uh, that help you on this, because worship is living in a Godward direction, looking at God and going, I live for you. And so, yes, it does lead you to a life of risk and, and adventure in in finding out what does God have for you? What, where will the, the will of God take you today? But it begins on just how can you focus on God? And I think that songs are a gift to us in enabling us to go, oh, wow, this very ordered way that, that uplifts my heart towards God. It's, it's, um, it, I wonder sometimes why God invented music and, and why this works this way. And, and it seems we need it. Yeah. Uh, we need to have something to kind of charge us up because the world is discouraging. Um, there is not life you'll find anywhere else. Uh, and so uh, to be able to focus on him when, when our flesh and when our, our fallen nature will pull us toward other things, uh, it is a gift to have that, which leads you then to focus on God in the whole of your life. And, and so uh, this, this issue uh, of having worship as a spiritual discipline, uh, it, is, it is not really something that I think you do anywhere near as well by yourself. Um, and so to start that way, um, and, and, and I can say at this point that I had a gift in, um, though I did come to Christ sort of late compared to a lot of people at, at 16, that, that I did come to Christ with a group of people who we failed in every way, but we also learned, you know, we did it wrong <laughs> the whole bunch of ways, but, uh, God was gracious in that we learned, uh, and and this uh, thinking about worship and thinking about risk taking, thinking about walking uh, and, and looking. I, I, I hope that um, the longer we go, I hope that we do view the Christian life as an adventure because um, I think that God wants us to go, yeah, there's a lot to do here. And, and I, I want to be working through you that I, I want you all to be willing, whatever might come. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we think about um, or here's one way I think about worship is often the case with me is that for the Christian, I think worshiping the Lord is oftentimes serves as like a uh, scratching an itch. Like there's an itch that needs to be scratched. I think to a certain degree this is true of humanity in general. And and I don't, I don't think the scriptures, uh, I think they back this up, this claim that we were created to worship. Mm-hmm. Human beings were created to worship. Yeah. And people are going to worship one thing or another. Yeah. What we find out is that there's all kinds of things that you can worship, but there's only one thing, one God, 
that you can worship and be satisfied. Right. And and the worship of the Lord is found uh, in Jesus Christ. And when his people worship him, it brings a sort of joy, it brings a sort of satisfaction, uh, even in the midst of pain, hardship, toil. There is oftentimes this idea that uh, that if we come to worship the Lord and and we aren't adequately in the right emotional state, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that somehow our worship is going to be worthless mm-hmm. or it's not going to benefit us and it's not going to be pleasing to God. When quite the opposite is true, regardless of what your emotional state is, regardless of what might be going on in your in your life, in your brain, even as you come to worship, when we come, we worship the Lord, that worship is pleasing to him. And not only does it does it glorify him, honor him as he pleased with it, but it benefits us even yeah. when we feel like, man, I don't want to be doing this. Mm-hmm. I don't feel at all worthy or I don't, I'm not in the mood, mm-hmm. whatever case, the case might be. It is a great benefit to us. And I think we find that it, that it does sort of scratch an itch when, when we come and we worship, um, whether it be on your own or whether it be with the group, I personally, I definitely find worship together to be um, just extremely fulfilling. Um, when we come together, for example, on a Sunday morning, we worship. There is something about that time spent together and committed to uh, the worship of the Lord that it just feels right and it just feels good. Um, it feels good and it feels right in that way because it satisfies our soul it satisfies our longing to worship, to be drawn towards something and to commit our ourselves and our, our worship to the God who created us. And so, I don't know, there's just something about about worship that, that does that. Right. Uh, we all naturally love things. If we're made in the image of God who is love, um, we move through all these stages of um, we can, uh, we don't use these words, but we almost should because we talk too, we, we're too uh, vague. Like we'll say, like, I really like that. It's like, no, you have devotion to that. I mean, yeah. if, if it's something that you're coming back to over and over, it's something that you're devoted to. And these are the words that the Bible uses to talk about how deep things get into our hearts. Yeah. And and so... Um, Down into our bowels. <laughs> there you go, Old Testament yeah, language. That's right. Yeah, and so th- that's hard, but this is genuine self-knowledge. We all worship something, like yeah. you said. And um, and so to, to be able then to love God first in our life uh, and then have other things find their own place is a wonderful thing to then have your life be aligned. It aligns all the rest of your relationships. Uh, it, it it makes it all work. And so uh, this discipline, unique in, in that way. Um, and the last thing I want to say about it is love is sacrifice. And so um, to really love God, to really love anything will cost you something. And don't let that element of it um, sneak past you too. We, we, we sometimes want everything to be only... Uh, only immediately positive and, and look to love. To love is challenging. If you, if you love someone, it, it'll hurt sometimes. Um, and, and even to love God will, will hurt. It will be challenging, but it's, it's good. It's for our good. It is. And I think one of the ways in which it becomes a discipline, and I think but there are always going to people that would be more prone to um, either private worship to the, to the neglect of public or public to the neglect of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about this. This could be a whole podca- podcast in itself. Um, I, I find myself more drawn towards corporate worship that is worship with my, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I find it difficult to, uh, to engage in worship, um, 
on a singular basis by myself. Now, I'm using the word worship here to describe more than just singing. That is certainly an aspect of worship, but I'm talking about committing myself to the things of the Lord, committing time and energy and focus uh, and adoration, all these things mm-hmm. to Him. Um, but one of the things that I think we, we are just living in an age in which a very practical and real way we see the difficulty of disciplining ourselves in this way comes to corporate worship and committing ourselves to gathering together with the body of Christ every single week yeah. on the Lord's day. That is, man, it's a, it's a real discipline mm-hmm. and it takes sacrifice. It takes energy uh, because guess what? We live in a world that is not committed to uh, worshiping the Lord uh, each week. Right. And so the idea that we as Christians ought to set aside uh, this time this week to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship the Lord in a corporate way. Um, the world is not going to back us on that. Right. They're not going to cater to that. And so when it comes to things like, I'm just going to go ahead and go there. When it comes to things like uh, sports leagues, when it comes right. to things like community events, when it comes to all these things, it can at times become very difficult to mm-hmm. prioritize uh, the corporate gathering of the saints for worship. And we can man, very easily fall into well, uh, you know, just, you know, it's not every, it's not all the time that I do these other things instead of worship, but yeah. sometimes I do these other things instead of going to worship. Well, look, every time you do that, you are choosing one thing over another. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is as Christians, we ought to prioritize, not almost every week, but always we ought to prioritize the worship of God over all else. Yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah, and and uh, believe me, I I know this can get sort of like, well, well, well who's to say it it has to be this way? Well, look, um, what we have right now is a set aside time where God's people gather, and it's it's powerful and important. And I promise you, having tried to work with schedules for uh, quite a while now, um, you're not going to be able to find some other time where all the people can just go, oh, sure, that other time you've come up with makes more sense. Like, no, when they gather is probably a pretty good time. Um, and that our lives sort of form a wave, that the, these event kind of times help us to navigate through the in-between times, and that it is a rhythm. There's a life rhythm that you're after in that. And um, I, I encourage it. I think it's important. Yep. All right, let's talk about uh, evangelism, service, and stewardship. I'm, I'm, I can say first about uh, evangelism. My biggest problem early on, especially not thinking of this as a discipline, is that my mind is I'm not a natural categorizer mm-hmm. and that I too, I was very much in, in, in uh, immaturity, too much of sort of like these are the tracks and that I hadn't thought too much about integration of my life. Uh, and, and so the long story short about this is that um, naturally, if, if you have grown in Christ, that's going to come up. Yeah, and learning to navigate conversations and to recognize when you bring things up, what vibes other people are putting off about where they're at on that, and then using your own judgment, praying for the Holy Spirit's guidance in that, that that is the way for me to navigate this specific discipline of evangelism is to to integrate it with my life as a whole and then to be able to talk about it in the context of my life as a whole. And the thing that um, I was just too streamlined, analytical, just kind of like, 
no, this is the issue that I'm talking about and hadn't integrated it in my life. And that's been the biggest helpful me help for me as far as the discipline of evangelism goes is that there's just plenty of things in my life to talk about that. If I don't talk about what God has done, uh, I won't be, I'm not being honest about how I've gotten anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that, uh, you know, so for instance, uh, if a friend of mine and I are talking about uh, discipline, I, the the disciplines that I do have in my life now are not the result of me being some sort of, oh, just hardworking person. It is because God has taught me the value of discipline, mm-hmm. that I was made to accomplish things, and that the way to accomplish things is by embracing discipline. These are things that God has taught me. It's not things that I just kind of had and I'm being dishonest if I don't admit that sort of thing. And also, I'm not helping anyone to just say, hey, you just got to do it. You just got to push yourself. No, that's not how it happened for me. <laughs> I didn't just decide to push myself and then become disciplined. Uh, and, and so that's a path that I can easily say for me on, on evangelism. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about evangelism. I think we get thing, you get things on all sides. There's some people who just are dead set that if you are not uh, regularly going out you know, to doors, to knock on doors, uh, and telling them the gospel, um, or something like that, doing street evangelism or whatever, that you're just not doing it. Well, look, there is nowhere in the scripture, uh, that we are told that this is the way to do evangelism. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, Hey, don't let, don't let anyone guilt you into thinking that, well, that's the only way to do evangelism. Um, now, that is a fine way to do evangelism. Sure. If you have a heart to and a desire to go out uh, and to knock on doors, to tell people about the gospel, or to talk to people in the street, whatever the case may be, that's great. Praise God for that. And I think that kind of boldness has a a, a great benefit to it and, and all of that. But realistically, is that the way most people are going to um, to engage in evangelism? No. Right. Uh, and so it doesn't have to be that way, nor does it have to be alone. I think the idea that evangelism is exclusively a personal thing is also false. I think that uh, that you could, evangelism is a is a discipline that you can practice with other people um, in in all kinds of various ways. But you're exactly right in that. Uh, actually, David Platt, I think, did a sermon series one time that I found to be really helpful on this. Uh, it was called Threads, and the idea behind the sermons, the series that he was teaching on, was finding ways to weave threads of the gospel into our daily lives and conversation Mm -hmm. to where it's not like you have to find a way to bring up this topic, but finding ways as the conversation naturally moves in certain directions to, to infiltrate or not infiltrate, but to, to include and sort of infuse into the conversation that which is already infused into your life, which is the gospel. Um, It's a far more helpful way of looking at it, I think. But the bottom line is, whether you're doing it this way or another way, it is a good discipline to practice. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about methods at a later date, but but let it at least be said that working towards and, and practicing evangelism in some form is a valuable practice. Yeah. What do you say about service? Uh, I'm not for it. I think we should skip <laughs> straight to uh, the next. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think service probably is one that comes easy to a lot of people. Um, not everyone. Sure. Not everyone, but I think service is one of those things, especially I think of people who are a little bit more, who are just, who are doers, but also not big fans of being in the spotlight. Sure. I know plenty of people that, that thrive in the area of service to others. Mm-hmm. Um, I know plenty of other people that don't, <laughs> Sure. that don't. But I think, uh, I think service is one of those things that 
it very oftentimes falls right in line with people's certain people's spiritual gifts uh, that the Lord has granted. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's helpful to our conversation, but I would say that if you're one of those people that it doesn't come naturally, it doesn't come easy to, uh, you really need to be finding ways to serve and yeah. you need to be actively considering and, and thinking through what are some needs around me? Because here's the thing, there are needs around you. Mm-hmm. Whether you're seeing them or not is the issue and whether you're acting upon them when you see them is the issue. Yeah. I think it's easy for, for, for us to sometimes think, well, you know, I've spotted an issue. Well, I don't know. Would it be a help if I did this thing? Oh, well, would they really want me to come and, and give them a meal or, or call or come and sit with this person or whatever the case might be? Um, it's easy to talk ourselves out of these kinds of things. Uh, I would say an encouragement to those who are tempted to do that and have a tendency to do that. You need to do the opposite. You need to talk yourself into things. Yes. Uh, I have, not talk yourself out. I have genuinely seen people who go, well, what I have to offer would not be helpful. And that is uh, just the opposite of what is true. False. What yep. you have to offer is all you need to give. And what you have to offer matters. And uh, th- it is a strange thing, though, because one of the natural weird things about being human is that the things we can do, we take for granted. And that includes both our everyday sort of things, but also our kind of special giftedness. And I've seen this in every kind of giftedness. I have seen kids who can just flat play the piano and go, eh, it's no big deal. You know, what it was, and it, 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 everything from that to things what we do consider sort of more run-of-the-mill, like I can make a meal. It's like, yeah, everybody can make a meal. Yeah, but they don't. Uh, right. And so hospitality gifts uh, to teaching gifts, whatever gift that, that you have, we tend to underplay it. And it does matter. It is what you have to give and you should give it. And, and so that is service I find strange in that way because some of these I think we do notice had the value in. But these things that we are able to do, I think we are a lot of times prone to uh, undervalue. And, and that's one of the strangest things about it. Um, he goes through a whole list. You know, he talks about our services motivated by obedience and gratitude and gladness and forgiveness and not guilt, uh, humility and love. And, and that stuff is helpful. Um, Jesus says greatness is service. Yeah. That, that in, in the kingdom, which we'll live in forever, that's what will still be considered great is to serve others. And so uh, the Christian life, as you mature, you will see Hopefully you're around mature Christians because that's what you're going to see out of mature Christians is that they serve. Yep, that's exactly right. Um, he, so he, then he gets on into uh, to stewardship. Um, and uh, there's a lot to be said that could be, I don't know, stewardship is, is a fascinating one to me as mm-hmm. far as the spiritual discipline. Don't you think, I, I find this one interesting because some people have very good instincts about it and some yep. people have like very, yes. very low and yes. even sort of uh, aversion, like natural challenges about stewardship, about managing their time, talent, treasure stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. And it also seems to be the most subjective too. Like, okay, well, how do you steward these things mm-hmm. well? Well, someone might say do it this way, while the other one says, no, that's a terrible way to do it. I'm thinking particularly of things like finances mm-hmm. um, that we're called to steward. Well, man, like how you could make out a budget and consider that to be good stewarding could be totally different from one person to the next or even from one church mm-hmm. to the next. I th- think about church budgets and how we as churches prioritize different things, and you can see a lot of variance a lot of different percentages in church budgets as far as what they are prioritizing um but the bottom line i think where i would sort of direct people to is that 
you know, we can talk, and sure, it is somewhat subjective with certain issues like mm-hmm. money or these kinds of things. Um, but uh, the bottom line is we need to be thinking of all of these things as stewards over them rather than thinking of them as ours. Yeah. I think that's where where we'll begin to see some change. And even if we disagree in where everything lands, so long as we are maintaining this idea that these things are the Lord's, they're not ours, we've just been given them to steward, it will begin to have a radical effect on how you use the things that you have. And and not just with money, but even with, I think especially with time. Yes, um, yes. And I, and I would think when, it's a concern to me when you still see people talking about like, well, uh, the church will just want money. Look, if you don't want to give, don't give. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian maturity will drive you towards my money is useful, hopefully for things eternal. Yep. And that's where that will come in. So if you're not there, that's okay. Um, but challenging questions, especially when I, I do believe that when I see people's eyes fixed on something over here, I am convinced that in our day where we're still so focused on questions about churches and money, I think we are all wasting time and not thinking about it. I think that we, we take our eye off that ball and it just gets away from us because a lot of things we've, we've come to have to deal with in the last, say, 50 years are things that will eat up time. Yeah. And, and that is the question about this. Okay, what is the best way to use your time meaningfully rather than waste it? Yep. What is the best way to use your money meaningfully rather than wasting it? Uh, these are worthwhile questions and questions that, that frankly, like you, you pointed to. I mean, the scriptures say that we will answer for everything we've done, whether in word or deed, and we will answer to God. Uh, I mean, specifically, the Bible says, to your own master, you will stand or fall. Mm-hmm. You will answer to the Lord for what you've been given yep. in terms of your time your treasure and your talents, which this all comes out of the parable of the talents. And so then think in light of that, that's that's a question for each of us to deal with. Am I using what I've been given meaningfully or am I wasting it? Yeah. Have you buried it in the ground? Right. Uh, Don't do that. You are a very uh, unfaithful servant. If you do Mm -hmm. that with what the Lord has given you, if you waste it. Yep. Okay. Last section involves fasting. I think we get to some of the heavier, uh, more challenging ones, the ones people are intimidated by here. Fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, and learning. Uh, Fasting. I think probably the most helpful thing that he begins with about fasting is fasting is feared. Yes, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Especially by us Baptists. Yes. Um, We are are not uh, typically big fans of this one as much as we love our food. Uh, I'd say some sidebar. Doesn't every denomination say that about themselves, though? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, oh, you know us Methodists, we sure do love our food. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Uh, Russ, us Catholics, we sure do love our fish fries. That's kind of like, yeah, every did not. Guess what? As human beings love food. So, sure. uh, I don't know. I just sidebar. I think that's kind of funny. But uh, it is true that fasting is one of those things that, boy, it's difficult. Um, it's feared because it is difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Let me ask this. If you could I be so bold as to say in the last five years, how many times have you fasted? Now when I say fasted, I mean in kind of the most classic way, fasting from food. Um, when was how many times have you fasted in the past five years? Oh one, two. You? I think zero. Yeah. I don't think I have fasted 
once in the last five years. I have in my life. The last time I can remember um, was probably uh, seven years ago. I say that not to bring shame upon you no, yeah. or, or to try and embrace shame myself, but to, but but it is to say, I think it proves a point that fasting is not like just one time talked about in the scriptures. It's a pretty regular occurrence in both the Old and New Testament uh, as a part of worship and uh, and, and especially by the example of and Jesus in the Gospels. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so to to think about that and how little emphasis we give or mm-hmm. little importance we give to something like fasting, I think it does speak to the need for a book like this mm-hmm. and, and to be reminded, even myself, of of the need for these things. Do you believe that something like fasting has a benefit? Right. Well, Jesus clearly did. So why don't why don't we? Why don't we think that? And if we do think that, why don't we practice it? Right. And this is an area um, in looking uh, at the book, I, I think it was helpful for me to read these um, because of our fear, we don't even, I think, ask the question, what is fasting for? Yeah. And so these categories that it gives, I think, are really helpful. He says, fast to strengthen prayer, mm-hmm. to seek guidance, to express grief, to seek deliverance and freedom, to express repentance, to humble oneself before God, to express concern for the work of God, to minister to the needs of others, to overcome temptation, and to express love to God. It is helpful for me to connect dots to go, when should I be looking for this in my mm-hmm. life? And, and those are helpful then. Yep. That's exactly right. And you know, it is such an under, under desired thing and therefore understudied thing for, for Christians, this idea of fasting. But one of the things to think about is, is when you're fasting, it is not just, okay, I'm fasting so that I can, I don't know, lose some weight or whatever. And when you're fasting, the goal is not sit and think about how miserable you are in fasting. You will notice, I don't, you know, I don't like this feeling of my stomach growling and being hungry, uh, but it is to be a, a serve to you to commit yourself to prayer, to worship, to, uh, to these kinds of things, even like you said, lamentation and, and these kinds of things. Uh, it helps direct you to these things so that when those times come up and you say, man, I'm hungry, uh, it's a reminder, oh, well, I'm fasting right now. Right. Uh, I need to turn to the Lord. I need to right. pray, need right. to worship, do whatever the thing may, may be. Um, it really is a very powerful tool, tool to direct us in our worship. Yep. It is. Uh, and, and we are not in easy territory here. Silence and solitude is the next one. And I, I will say um, this one I think people have different responses to. I think some people uh, do better with uh, silence and solitude than others. Um, And so as far as what this is, it is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, It is more of a focus on quieting yourself and especially getting to places where you're not interrupted, where you are able. And and, and I think it can be confusing because it's like, well, what am I praying during this time? Am I reading any of these things? um, But it it is a, a, a focus on removing all these distractions Mm -hmm. to be able to allow your spirit to have some quiet time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and that I think is something that we are sorely lacking and that we can't even measure what we're losing by not having moments of calm and quiet Um, in a, in an era where TikTok was invented and proliferates that the making your attention span something like five or 10 seconds, we have no idea what we're losing 
when we are training ourselves to want something new put in front of our face every five or 10 seconds. Meanwhile, this is the opposite uh, discipline. It is yeah. discipline in yourself. And, and it is strange because it is actually, I mean, it's, it's deprivation, removing yeah. that uh, aspect of the world that is constantly throwing something different in front of you. Yeah. And in the age of smartphones uh, and like you said, social media, TikTok, all these things, it is a dramatic, I mean, it's, it's, we are, we are so committed to and, in, and engaged with our cell phones and with social media that to literally, I mean, it feels like unplugging from those things. Cause that's what you're doing. You're, you're disconnecting yeah. from those things, which means if you're doing silence and solitude and you have your phone with you, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're you're right. not doing it right. right. Um, you're, you're separated from all of those things, all distractions, which our phone is an ever ever present distraction right uh, and we like it that way yeah. um, I think silence and solitude of this list uh, is probably the hardest for me mm-hmm. even though I don't often fast I know I can and mm-hmm. I, I am able to do it silence and solitude I'm able to do it but it's really hard for me mm-hmm. I am I'm one of those people that's fidgety uh, that doesn't like to sit mm-hmm. doesn't like to be quiet doesn't like to be alone I prefer to be around people always mm-hmm. and so yeah this is a diff- difficult one um, yep. for me and I think for a lot of other people as well. Last thing I'll say about it is if, if you feel that you have a hard time um, making decisions, thinking more deeply about things, those are all aspects of uh, too much stimulation. Yeah. Uh, if you find that you're having a hard time really even um, thinking straight, mm-hmm. um, we, we are training ourselves right now in a lot of ways to be just open to constant distraction. Even... Uh, it just occurred to me in trying to, to look at this a while back, I was like, man, what are all these distractions? Text messages are such a distraction. Oh, yeah. um, it's stray thoughts of other people. We, there's a reason why God gave us mouths that takes uh, proximity and uh, a will for somebody to say something to you. But a text message is, is generally like a stray thought or a bit of information given at a moment convenient for some other person. Yeah. <laughs> We expose ourselves to this stuff constantly. And if you've ever tried to write something, uh, read something, and really think about it, getting these constant distractions, text messages, things popping up, um, all of us have dealt with whatever we're logged into on our computer, just being like, hey, by the way, here's a thing. You know, it's a birthday list on, you know, this social media. It's, it's, it's like, okay, I didn't need that at this moment, but it was the time that this thing decided to give it to me. And so it, it is just something to keep in mind as far as why is this discipline there? It is because uh, we put ourselves in positions and our world does too, that are taking something away from us. And not only do things like text messages oftentimes distract us uh, from whatever else we're doing, we oftentimes like prioritize them even over what we are doing and who we are around. Yeah. They feel urgent for some reason. How often do you pick yeah, it up why? and go, that wasn't urgent at all. <laughs> I hate that. I, hate that. Uh, I will be at home sometimes with my wife and, and I, you know, this is just a, a confession. Uh, you know, I'll be at home sometimes and we'll be engaging in conversation and I'll get a text message. I'll look at it and, and she'll try and talk to me. Yeah. While I'm now looking at mm-hmm. and responding to this text message and I'll, say, and I'll tell her, hang on, I have to respond to this real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I guess I really didn't have to, at least not right then. I mean, it wasn't a phone call. You know, maybe a phone call would have been a little bit different, but yeah. we allow it to not only distract us, but, but gain our, our, our full attention. We prioritize it, which is yeah. not helpful. All right. Home stretch journaling. 
this is one when I saw it, and I, and I haven't said this, I don't think about any other discipline. When I saw it, I was like, yes, I already have an impulse for this one. Journaling is something that I've been drawn to a long time. I remember I was probably uh, 13 or 14 when I first just, I, I had too many thoughts in me uh, that I needed to get out. I did not know exactly what was going to come out, so writing it to just a paper rather than just saying it to somebody uh, was necessary for me. And so this one uh, has been a great uh, sort of development for me because uh, I, from general journaling, uh, journaling scripture, just reading and just expressing my thoughts about it, it's been uh, something I enjoy very much. And so this one is one that I, I do, I have found it pretty natural for me that I can just enjoy it. And it is a discipline that, that fits for me in a lot of occasions. Yeah. I've been pleased to see it, something of a resurgence of this kind of discipline as well. Uh, and you see it in things like, um, like the, uh, uh, like ESV or Crossway yeah, has sure. come out with their ESV journaling yes. Bibles, yeah. uh, where they have, they print whole Bibles or even just like certain books, mm -hmm. uh, that have a whole separate page. So it's like half of the book, like one page, one side is the text of the scriptures. And then the other side is just lines for you to journal in. Yeah. Um, I think because there's been an increase, and I think this is a good thing, of the desire and the emphasis on journaling. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's I, I would encourage everyone, maybe you've done this, maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't in a while, but give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And there's really very little order or structure to what it has to look like. For yep. some people, journaling takes on the form of prayers. Yep. They, they write yep. down prayers to yep. the Lord. For some people, it... It takes on the form of observations yep. uh, about the yep. scriptures. For some people, it just takes on the form of uh, thoughts, or maybe organizing, um, organizing thoughts in their in their mm -hmm. head and thinking through certain things. Um, I mean, it can be a whole host of different things. Yeah, and that um, it, what may seem whatever idea you might have about journaling. What is exciting about it to me is that it can be a lot of different things. And so yeah. put your pen to the paper, your fingers to the keys and see what yeah. you can make of it. If there's no a, rules even about the method. Some people will really talk at length about, you know, yeah. writing with your, your, through your own hand. Uh, look, my hand hurts after a while. And yeah. so I've, I've done a lot of writing, but I've done a whole lot of typing. Yeah. Um, and, and there are not rules for it other than give it a shot. Um, right. There's stories about, you know, Jonathan Edwards would keep track of how he, kind of the spiritual vitality you felt from day to day uh, and wrote that down. You can write down. I mean, this is one thing that they talk about in the book that you can journal about how you're doing with all of these disciplines. Yeah. If that appeals to you and if not journal in some other way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, just journal. I mean, yes. that's the point. It's like Nike. Just do it. There you go. Yeah. Uh, finally, um, uh, the last one is learning. I think this is a good one. I think this is a good one, especially um, that we, we prioritize towards pastors and teachers, but it's good for everyone mm -hmm. that you be learning. Um, and this certainly means that we ought to be, um, reading the scriptures. So it goes hand in hand with that. But I think this would also lead us to include, Hey, if there's other avenues to help you learn, uh, whether that be, and there are other avenues to help you help you learn. Let me say that, but whether that be books, whether that be lecture series, whether that be podcasts, um, all kinds of different ways to, to learn mm -hmm. and to um, take in new knowledge, new understanding, whether it be of the scriptures or of spiritual disciplines, like the book that we're working through now, um, or whatever the case might be. As Christians, we do need to be constantly learning. Mm -hmm. um, as pastors, I know for me, uh, the seasons when I find myself reading less, taking in less, um, thinking about what Jonathan Edwards used to do, those are the seasons where I feel the 
least effective in my ministry yep. usually. Yep. Uh, so like during a semester in seminary when I'm taking classes, usually I feel like um, a, a, a higher level of spiritual vi- spiritual vitality, uh, a greater effectiveness in my teaching and in my ministry uh, versus when I'm just kind of not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all go through those seasons, but I was encouraged, encourage you bust out of that season, find ways to learn, find ways to study. Um, it's, it's really, it's good for all of us. Yeah. Uh, in the last book that we, we reviewed mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said that, uh, Christianity itself is a mode of education so that you should expect to learn. Uh, if, if we are really alive and will continue to grow for all eternity, we should, we should definitely expect to learn and grow now. Right. And that is one of the strange things that I have seen happen is that when we grow up to say a graduate high school, we can lose a mindset of learning and we should not, uh, we should expect to learn in a variety of ways. And in fact, if this is a spiritual discipline, we should have ways that we plan to learn that we do discipline ourselves to learn. So this could be simple. I mean, some people love newspapers, magazines. Um, some people love books, but there are a lot of ways to learn. Um, some people love to to do things, to garden or to uh, gain knowledge of you know archery. Or This learning is a very broad category. And so again, I think this one is, is pretty easy to embrace when you realize how broad this is. Um, and, and so to close with learning, I think is a, is a great one to end with because it is, it's a mode, uh, that we want in our life, a, a posture of continuing to grow, uh, is important for us. Yep. Um, I would just encourage us with, uh, before we close, um, the words of the apostle Paul in first Corinthians chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Uh, This is a, a good word from the Apostle Paul, one who recognizes his own weakness, his own failings, as, as he writes about in Romans chapter 7, but uh, one who calls us to run the race so that we might win the prize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Christian, as you listen to this, uh, let me encourage you, run the race mm-hmm. and, and do the work. Uh, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Good word. This has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future.